Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash monthly 5 k If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Digital Bank a fully digital bank with a mission to empower every Filipino everywhere by providing easy access to digital financial services for consumers and businesses. Union Digital Bank partners with startups to co-create financial products to meet the needs of their customers. Contact Union Digital Bank to explore how they can power your platform with embedded financial services. For more information about Union Digital Bank, please see their website at www.uniondigitalbank.io. Stay updated by following them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also by Shoppable Business, your number one source for procuring products for your business in the Philippines. Discover authentic branded products online. Shop bulk, save big, and secure authentic products with official sales invoices at Shoppable Business today. I think the number one thing that we will end up seeing, and I think I've seen it in Foxmont's portfolio companies and some of the other uh, investors here, it's the, a, a founder that has been overseas to a more developed country and has seen what good execution looks like, even studied or worked overseas and has seen what that looks like. And then they come back here and they have the nuanced local view, right, of the Philippines, let's say, for example, or if it's another emerging market country. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now, here's your host, Ronster Beit Yong. 
Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast, and it's a brand new year. We have a brand new season. Oh my God, this is going to be turning to our year five. And I'm very excited because we finally had the guy and one of the guys actually that are leading one of the biggest and one of the best incubators, newest incubators. I think they started last year when we started it out and Founders Launchpad. And I've seen, I think, a couple of uh, if not one cohort already and again a good my good friend Alea Ladaga who I've known since Kubo days is part of their team but without carried being carried away without carried away without being carried away let's welcome to the show Mr. Jay Handler of Founders Launchpad Jay welcome to the show thank you thank you thank you and again, very impressed with what you guys have done. Big fan of what you guys do. I've seen the legit founders that you've done. I also know that you guys work with my angel and uh, very good friend, Mark Quimen. So that's very good. Yes. But before I get carried away, I need I need to ask you the million dollar question. Jay, what's your hustle? Yeah, man. So right now it's uh, Founders Launchpad. So you, you kind of nailed it so on the intro. But yeah, we're, we're building, a let's say... For ease of understanding for the public, a YC style accelerator. So you mentioned incubator. We we actually decided to change the the designation. Let's say from incubator oh. only because incubator means meaning they come up with the idea. The incubator comes up with the idea and hires a management team to come in and, and execute. Whereas the accelerator mm. founder led ideas that where they apply in and we interview and accept based on their idea. But anyway, so yeah, Founders Launchpad, it's a accelerator program, again, YC style. We do a 12-week program, plus or minus one or two weeks. I think we ended up mm. getting 14 last, last year. <laughs> so uh, we, we, that was our first one. We're, we're iterating on it uh, this year for sure. But mm. yeah, we have a it's super hands-on mentorship program. We, we started it because we thought there was a, a real need for a bit of uh, hands-on guidance for a lot of these founders locally. There's a lot of talent, a lot of potential here in the Philippines. And uh, I think the the VC scene is quite new. So a lot of the big companies that are making major strides and big successes are, you know, they have a lot of, let's say, foreign founders there or foreign educated founders, which yeah. is awesome, which is great. That's that's totally fine. <laughs> but the this VC scene locally is super new. So these guys, these Filipino-grown guys that are feeling real problems in, in different, uh, you know, wherever they're living, different provinces around the country, they might have awesome solutions. And those are the guys we're really trying to find and help. So we we saw that there's there's a, a couple of firms that are investing at a, at a bit later stage. We're really coming in more grassroots. So the right. hospital is building this program out as best we can, helping, you know, Filipino founders, also foreign founders that want to operate here. But Absolutely. That's the that's the hustle, man. We're we're trying to do two two cohorts a year, so we'll be doing. We did six investments nice. on the first one, and then nice. it'll be hopefully eight to ten on the next, and thereafter. Sounds exciting, and that's what I want to uh, deep dive on because that's again. And thank you for also breaking down what the difference of an incubator and an accelerator. Because a lot of people mistake each other for for the two, right? But now at least you know that if it's an incubator. It's some. It's an idea that was basically preformed by the incubator, and then you get a team to actually execute it. Accelerator, you have a founder-led idea, and you assemble the team, or you shoot your shot and also accelerate it and achieve really intense milestones over the past, the next uh, specific period of time to get to 
at least not even product market fit. A lot of people don't even get there. Don't throw that word around loosely. Yeah. It's at least problem solution fit or at least an MVP that works that is generating traction or revenue. Right. right? All right. Now, before I get carried away, man, before we even talk startups, what type of deals, what type of startups you look for and the type of investment you guys do, what I need you guys to buckle up. Or no, not you guys, only you. I need you to buckle up real quick because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All righty. And that's what we need to basically discuss, right? Uh, I want to understand real quick, what's the origin story? Okay, so I, I, I'm, we're going to go all the way back, back in the States, right? What was it like growing up? And is there any people that you got inspiration from in terms of hustling growing up? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Stamford, Connecticut. I grew up there with a, with a. I had three older brothers, two of them much older because uh, we, we had a different mom. She had the same dad. They ended up living in in our house growing up. Um, so they were you know twelve and fifteen years older than me. Um, so it was nice. I had somebody between my dad and my other brother Alex, who's two years older than me. So I kind of had this middle uh, mentors. Let's middle say, that, yeah, exactly. So that helped me. Uh, mature a lot faster having those guys that were, you know, not my dad age, but in the middle age, helped me mature a lot faster. So, but everybody finance uh, in my household. So my dad studied uh, economics at University of Chicago and was in, yeah, he's a, he's one of these brainiac guys, (laughs) but he's awesome and super sharp and always pushed us really hard to, um, you know, study and and work hard. That were the, those were the the values in the, the family. That's what he valued. So work was always at the forefront of everything. Mm-hmm. My mom, on the other hand, she was the one we went to for, you know, you know, ah, dad's scary. <laughs> He's yelling, <laughs> mom, help. You know, this is, it's the standard dad, tough uh, mom. Uh, good cop, bad cop relationship. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of funny uh, growing up in that household. I mean, we're looking at, looking back at it now, uh, but my mom also super uh, business driven. She worked on wall street for a while as a municipal bond trader, at a company called Oppenheimer. So she was there until the, she was in the world trade center. And then those oh, came out, no. but she wasn't, uh, she was on the way in, you know, everyone has one of these, things, but we were, you know, the, my brothers were making a scene in the morning. So she was a bit late, but she wouldn't have been, she was in the second tower that got hit. So, you know, she, everybody on her floor got out anyhow, but still there's always one of those crazy. That's intense. Yeah. So after that, she decided to go back to work and raise us essentially. So anyway, nice. the point is super business minded household, uh, business finance, all of this. And then, yeah, right. growing up, big sports fanatic, always playing mm. rugby, football. Uh, my dad pushed me into rugby because he played, he was born in Argentina. So. Rugby, not American football. So well, I didn't it, have no helmets. No, I know. It was a, a bit more intense, but uh, contrary <laughs> to popular belief, rugby is safer because, you know, you don't have these weapons on your head. So uh, right. tend to not lead with their head. So it ends up being safer. You just go after the body every time. After the body. Yeah. Avoid, yeah. And you don't, you're not tempted to to drive in with <laughs> head, which is... You don't do spears. No like spears. Uh... <laughs> yeah, form tackling, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, the the context for us, I mean, growing up with three older brothers is always, you know, I was getting beat up all the time. So I, whatever, the context nice. didn't scare me. I loved it. Um, the team sports <laughs> was always something I enjoyed a lot. Right. So yeah, that was great. I mean, that's kind of my, my upbringing. I didn't have any, you know, it was more run of the mill. I didn't have any crazy crazy stories in that sense, I guess, for my own. No, but uh, here's the thing. Sports really, if, you, if you're a sports fan, I always think, uh, make it akin to um, business because the discipline that you, you form 
in hustling for sports and really pushing your body to the limit to achieve a common goal is very similar to a business, 100%. which a business is a t- team sport, right? You can't just win on your own. You can't be like, hey, there's an I and win. Like, no, you need you need help yeah. um, to, to, to win. Now, what, what I want to understand, so as you're doing this, what are these core foundational skills that you learned? Because you said business is part of the household. It's part of, what are the types of conversations you guys were having early on are we talking about stocks we're talking about bonds are we talking about the the big short what are we talking about yeah we're covering all of that stuff i mean well one of the interesting things my dad had us do as part of his like kind of intense style of focusing on uh, learning and work and and um all of this growing up he we couldn't eat dinner until we read a newspaper article i mean i was like shit (laughs) i had to come to the table with a new york times article uh to tell him about uh before i was able to get my food so wow yeah he was uh it was he's he's a super intense guy but easy pickings was obituary he just read that (laughs) all right these are people that died today (laughs) yeah no but you you have no idea i ended up going through the whole newspaper picking the shortest article just so I could eat some oh, dinner. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'd come to the table. I mean, all my brothers had to do it and we would tell him. Yeah, he's, the point is he wanted us to be, I mean, he's, he grew, again, grew up in Argentina and flew lived in Israel for a while, went to school there and then came to oh, wow. and speaks a ton of languages and lived all over the world. So he's, he values, I guess, like globalism, let's say, and world, world um, experiences and understanding what other people in the world are dealing with and uh, different viewpoints and all of this. So he said, yep. and it had to be from the international section, by the way. We couldn't tell him about local news. So, uh, you know, I think that was uh, a, something that we spent a lot of time on. And that was always a contention point because I was hungry after football practice and I just wanted to eat. <laughs> and he made me a newspaper. But it was really good. I mean, uh, you know, it's a super valuable uh, skill. To I have. love it. Then I was able to, you know, when I went to my friend's houses, my pa- the, their parents were talking about whatever was going on in the world. Not like 12 years <laughs> Jerry old. Jerry Maguire yeah. or Maury Povich. Right? <laughs> I'm chiming in at, at 12 years old. And like, what the hell is this kid? Like, how do you, what do you know? Um, so it was kind of funny and uh, kind of cool in that sense. But yeah, I mean, my, my dad is a lending business. He has a, a debt fund where they do real estate lending. Um, they lend to developers wow. uh, who are trying to build homes or multifamily properties or uh, now some office buildings. So, a lot of the, and you know, my brother Alex has started going into real the real estate world pretty from a pretty young age, even before college. Mm. Uh, so th- those conversations were always real estate related and lending related. Yeah, from my mom's side, we were always talking about the markets. I guess she when she stopped working on Wall Street, mm. she ended up doing day trading as a as a fund ah. for herself while we were in school and stuff because she was kind of a full time mom at the point at the time. So yes, right. markets and uh, what she was buying and why, and you know, it just super a, a big focus on what was going on in the world and and the impacts on the financial markets and on on people i mean even in, in faith i remember that whole the, the, it was great yeah, make sure <laughs> yeah so that i mean really a business focus household my my older brothers also are in uh, some sort of uh, nice. finance. so my oldest brother's a trader and he's a soybean trader so a commodity global commodity trader so he's he it's pretty cool they, they, he's a physicals guy so this the the on the screen traders and the physical traders. So on the screen are future. They trade futures of yep. uh, future prices of different commodities. He actually, mm. you know, thousands of metric tons of soybeans from the U.S. and sends it to China. Um, so he's actually feeding, feeding the world. That's a really cool profession, actually. Anyway, so the, everybody's doing some sort of uh, business and finance. There aren't, you know, that mm. that was the focus of the the household. Okay. Now, in, in early ages, when when you uh, when you went to school or probably in college, uh, I saw that you went to the dirt, dirt of South. 
and Tulane. Oh yeah, uh, Yalens, to 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 study. But what what was that? Uh, what, what was that like? And then also, did you do any side hustles while you were in the dirty, dirty south? Yeah, man. I uh, that's a really good question. First of all, New Orleans is an unbelievable city. I mean, we yep. really enjoyed the food scene there, the party scene. Gumbo, baby. Yeah, you, I mean, you know all about it. It's uh, an incredible place. It's a dirty, grimy, you know, mesh of uh, just party and. Making mm-hmm. and fun, <laughs> but mm-hmm. Mardi Gras style every time. Yeah, Mardi Gras was a huge uh, event there. The parades, the you know, it w- what an amazing place to go to school. That's for sure. I would recommend it to pretty much anybody. <laughs> uh, it's a fantastic place. A huge population of the uh, people from the the Northeast actually. Hmm. So there's a lot of guys from near where I was from that ended up right. in New Orleans, which is kind of funny. Yeah, man. So uh, I've definitely always been entrepreneurial in some light. So. Um, I mean, I think being trained by a, you know, again, my brother was the mentor. He was like, a, he was a trader at the time. And they have this like, you know, I think that there's this, um, I'd say one that I still use to this day, I would say is uh, this, he, what he likes to call it's trader's intuition. And you yeah. kind of just, fe- you kind of just feel what, something's wrong uh, yes. with what's happening. So the spidey sense. Yeah. It's a bit of a feeling. I don't really know. You, you know, it's obviously, it's a real feeling, but it's more like, you know, everybody's, a lot of people tend to follow the leader, let's say, and the leader is usually like a lot of the times wrong. And so Piper. you have like <laughs> trying to understand what what the actual problem is. Do they know? Like there's there's an inkling. Yeah. It's almost like a sixth sense. Yeah, you said it right. That you get when something's not right. So that's when you can take action to to mitigate whatever risk is arising from that feeling you're feeling. And mm-hmm. that was one of them. On the other side, it's just quick math, I guess. I, I mean. I haven't been so much of a math guy, although I'm a I'm an I'm an accountant. I have a CPA yep. degree. I did a finance undergraduate, so you know math is is something I know pretty well. That's good. Now we take before we take our first break. I want to ask you real quick. So after college, what was the first job that you took, and how did that come through? Because now it's you're all, all about the numbers, and then those numbers come different forms and formats, right? But at the end of the day, it's there's stakes involved. These are not just random numbers you crunch. There's lives, stakes, and pre, even companies and economies that get affected. What, what did that uh, do like? So you mentioned you, you you became a CPA. What's the first fish out of war experience for you? Yeah. So I, uh, so by the way, I, I did my undergraduate in finance. And then I said, I, I, all my friends were in investment banking and I just didn't want to do that at all. It's like, I, I knew I didn't <laughs> want to just be like, ham. I heard all the horror stories. I, I knew the guys' mm-hmm. internships. It was just not what I wanted. You went contrarian. Yeah, exactly. There's the, the also the trader intuition. It's like, yeah, this doesn't. <laughs> you saw the pattern. Yeah, this doesn't seem like what I want to be doing, or even the right thing to be doing. So, yeah, I, I went to get. I I got offered to to for the Tulane to do the Masters of Accounting, and they they paid me a bunch of money to do it. Meaning, I didn't have to pay that much <laughs> right. to get the Masters, and it was kind of a no brainer. I said, whatever, in one year I can get a Masters in Accounting. It doesn't cost me much, and. What's the, I don't know what I want to do yet. So wor- worst case, I have a Masters in Accounting, and I'll figure it out next year. So yeah, I did that, and then and then as soon as I started my master's, I got a job at Deloitte for the year after. So once I finished, so I started working at Deloitte in Manhattan. Once I graduated with my master's, I was in there. Uh, I actually, sorry, just in between my start date and ending school, I studied okay. for four CPA exams, which were so. Oh. You know, this was a nightmare. 
this took me eight months <laughs> to finish completely. Um, wow. one of them, I got a, you know, you need a 75 to pass on one of them. I got a 76 and I was like, Oh, oh God, <laughs> the others I did quite well on, but, uh, this one was right. like, an audit is just, I mean, just terrible. And it, you, nobody enjoys doing this, just audit work. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> so I had to study it and I had to just uh, get, get through it. But so that was a nightmare, but now I have it. And then I went to work at Deloitte. Uh, you need to work under a CPA for one full year to get your license. So it's the easiest thing to do is go work at a big four for a year. That's kind of the the, pl- the, the plan. I went in, I was working with some guy, you know, maybe I hope he does hear this actually. He was awful. I mean, he like he was just such a, a bad um, guy model. under. He was a really, like just very rude and not so helpful. Granted, we were all working from home, you know, so that makes it hard on everybody. But, you know, just not so thoughtful in the sense that, uh, you know, I'm just starting or everybody in our group is just starting and expecting us right. to just know how to do everything. And he's trying to teach us on by sharing his screen and just getting, he was just not so nice of a guy and it didn't really teach me well. So it just wasn't, I just got a bad taste immediately. Then, then I, I started right. working with some other teams, uh, you know, cause I, I was working with Blackstone and, uh, some other big like partners groups, some of these big private equity firms. Because we were, I was in the tax practice, and we were working on setting up their fund structure and doing their accounting and tax work for their massive funds, like Black Blackstone and and Partners Group. They have these huge private equity funds that have many many partners, and they have some very intense offshore structures. Wow! Uh, all these shell entities and pass through tax and all this stuff. So it's super complicated. It wasn't interesting mm. to me. Like just to me, it wasn't that interesting. Uh, I'm not. I'm not like a a corporate. To learn how that works, you watch a movie, The Laundromat. That's how it works. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Okay. So if you just watch that, that movie, if you do that, you know everything instantly. Yep. Um, so You'll understand how the world works and yeah. how wealth <laughs> is passed around without having to pay taxes. Now let's break up first week, and when we come back, I wanted to actually do, do a deep dive a bit of about the Deloitte hustle and how you got into the Seaborn Capital and all the way to how you got into Founders Launchpad. Of course, we're going to talk about. Founders Launchpad and the program and what you guys look for in startups that you guys want to invest in. Well, let's talk about that more after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch 
at SASConPH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We are still with Jay Handler again. Told us the the, the early hustles, the bookie hustle that he had, and also the Nolens hustle. Um, I don't see the Southern twang, but hopefully, when he's drunk, it comes out. What I, what I want to understand now is the Deloitte hustle, being at a big four. And you mentioned prior to the break that you didn't have a good first boss. And this is such a transformative experience for a lot of us hustlers because when you're lucky, you get a good role model, and that that person's going to be a mentor for life. Or you get someone that you don't want to emulate, and you just re- and then you just have a peg of who not to be, as a leader and who as, as a as a future professional down the road. But I want to understand in in Deloitte because this is the big four. We're talking about private equity. This is probably the granddaddy of VC anyway of how this was formed. Talk to me about that grind. What do you guys do in Deloitte and you're in right in the city of Manhattan? Um, you know this is. This is the epicenter of how those things are done. What, what was what did you learn and what was the grind like when you were doing that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, man, when you get into these, first of all, I just want to just uh, to say that I, I was in the private equity tax practice. So yeah, sure, we were working with these private equity firms as, as our clients, but we were on the more like the back office for them. The uh, let's say we were doing the, the tax structures and the accounting. So we weren't, you know, yeah. office deal making with them. But, uh, but you see the paper trail though. At that you level. definitely see the paper trail. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they're cleaning up, but that's for sure. Right. Yeah. So working at Deloitte, again, I agree with you completely that the first boss thing is can be very transformative. I mean, I think, you know, I was, as soon as I had that guy and worked with him for three, four months, I was like, okay, like I, I can't work here. Like this is just not for me. Like I felt that, I, I don't know if I would have felt that if I had an amazing guy, maybe one of the guys I ended up working with five months in, let's say, had I started with him, maybe I would have, you know, felt a bit better about it. But I think in the end, I didn't want to be in a corporate world anyways. I kind of made that decision anyhow, because I don't like being told what to do. I'm just too, I'm too, <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't like it. I, what do you want me to do? I don't like to be told what to do. I, I love criticism and feedback, but I don't like to be told to go and sit around and press numbers. It's the rugby player in you. That's it. Yeah. A bit of rebellion, let's just say. But the grind was, yeah, I mean, I joined, let's say I started in January, okay? And busy season, this starts by like February for tax season because tax season is April or really, depending on extensions, one night can go later, but pretty much thrown right into it. This was actually during the time of COVID. So I started like, you know, we were, we, Deloitte was contracted to help process a bunch of the PPP loans, but I don't know if you remember this, but they, like the government yep, yep. gave huge loans to any company that pretty much could prove their taxes were- They can build shit. Yeah, exactly. So they, mm-hmm. they were just they were just throwing out money everywhere. So we were like Deloitte was one of the people contracted by the government to help process these things. So mm-hmm. we were pretty much saying, yeah, you can give him the money. Yeah, give him the money. <laughs> you were the bunch of idiots that were just saying yes. You felt like Oprah. Yeah, I did, man. I was just I was like, yeah, prove. I mean, nobody. I thought, it was actually a bit crazy. Like, I mean, we had certain things we had to make sure that they were doing. Uh, I mean, you know, based on their tax returns and income and whatnot. You know, we, there had to be certain criteria to be met, but I mean, to be honest, we just, they, there were so many thousands, tens of thousands done. I bet 80% of them were just nonsense. Anyway, so that this was just like a, a random thing that wasn't, I wasn't really hired for, but it was such a big profit, profit center for the, for Deloitte, even though it wasn't yeah. their core business that, uh, 
they just threw everybody on it. They were just making too much money. So that's how I started for the first two months. And then I was like, all right, like get, get me, this is ridiculous. So like, I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> like get me off. You, you can outsource this for a, a 10th of my cost. I don't know why you're doing it with me. And then I started working on uh, this when I moved to Blackstone and started working with them. And mm. yeah, I mean, busy season, you know, they have thousands of partners that are part of their big fund. So you, we have to issue K ones to them. There's, they have, because of their, all their offshore structures, I won't bore you with it but because of all their offshore entities and whatnot, you have to file all these different kinds of forms that are like super complex, depending on who owns it. Are they foreign ownership? Are they locally owned? Are they, if they own something abroad, does that own something in the US? And it's just like such, such complex nonsense. Again, not for me, but that's what we were dealing with is a lot of like understanding the logic of how these big funds are set up and then Mm -hmm. helping them file proper taxes so they don't get destroyed by the IRS. So that's really what we were doing. I was in Excel all day, uh, making sure their accounting was was properly set up. Uh, we were just doing financial statement stuff, and we would take their audited financials and get them ready to be turned into tax financials. So there's essentially the the gap. Again, I don't want to give you get too specific here. You can cut this if you want later. But there's a lot of yeah, <laughs> I like it. There's uh, the U.S. gap. So generally accepted uh, the accounting principles accepted in the United States. This accounting is on a accrual basis, meaning even if you if you accrue an ex, if you have an expense now, even though you didn't pay it out in cash, you put it on your books. When you, when you the tax process of when you file your taxes, the accounting you actually do is cash based accounting. So you have to turn it from accrual to cash. So if you have like if you didn't really pay that expense out, you, you it shouldn't be paying for for tax on that one. Yeah, exactly. So th- there's um. Yeah, this is your this is so we were turning gap tax like all day long. Oh man, all their gap financials and turn them into tax financials. So it was terrible. Anyway, it was it was interesting. <laughs> listen, I, I listened, I learned a lot, and my accounting skills are pretty strong. I would say after that mm. year, but it just wasn't for me, and that's okay. But that was done. You're you're gonna have to go and and then move on right to to, 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 the, to the next hustle. And that's what I wanted to ask because again, I'm looking at your LinkedIn, right? January 2022 it says here that you're now became a partner in Seaborn Capital in South in, in Manila. Actually, what what what's Seaborn Capital and how did you even get here? Yeah, so this is an interesting one also. Um, so first of all, I, I think I just one step back. I think that the reason I went uh, when I would dig dig into my decisions in my life, the reason I ended up mm-hmm. taking the accounting route and the CPA route was just as a as a comfort thing. Meaning, mm-hmm. if any, if all else fails, I can always be an accountant and go make my own money, and I'll be fine. And I don't have to work for anybody with a CPA. So that that was like a safety thing for me. So I'm happy I did that. But then I realized yep. I need to be more entrepreneurial. I I need. Uh, well, I guess the safety of the CPA allowed me to get a bit more aggressive with with my job process. Right. So, you can always go back to that. Yeah, exactly. So I started interviewing in a few places. I got a job at a, a lending company in New York. It was actually pretty interesting. I. I very close to taking it. Actually, we were in the final stages of negotiating with them on kind of the offer that they gave me. And then a, f- a friend of my oldest brother, uh, his name is Pran. He's a Sri Lankan guy. They went to GW together, George Washington mm. University. And uh, this is my brother who's now 42. So like the same age. Anyway, they lived together. They were, they were roommates in college and they've been friends since. At one point, I was complaining to him about my job. And he was like, how do you feel about... Uh, going to the Philippines. I was like, what? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I was like, I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm kind of open to it. Actually. I'm like, I'm willing right, to at it. that point. I want to understand what do you know about the Philippines? So I, I had always um, wanted to 
come back to Asia. I had spent six months in Hong Kong during my Tulane years, uh, an exchange program, and I freaking okay. did. And I had went. Where were you sent? I, w- I went to HKUST, which is Hong Kong University of Science and Tech. Got it. You know, on the Kowloon right. side. Right, right. And we, it was awesome. Like, I freaking loved it. I got there. I was like, holy shit, this is a bit <laughs> crazy. Uh, not Neon signs on everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I've loved that experience. And then I was like, I need to come back to Asia one day. This is awesome. I, mean, I, had, I had went to Palawan for a week with a buddy of mine during that time. Oh, shit. Wow. So I, I had been to the Philippines. Once. The fact that you say it the right way is already big kudos. Because motherfuckers always say, Palawan. Like, oh, yeah. Say, Listen, yeah. I, was, I was saying right. that until I came here. So, I, uh, mm. but now that I've been living here for two years, I've, I've adjusted. Uh, I have the right. down. Uh, anyway, so that's about all I knew about it. Other than Duterte, I don't know if I should be saying this, but it just killing a bunch of people in the streets. Um, so that, <laughs> those are the great out of power. That's safe now. You can yeah, say yeah. that. So, yeah. Great beaches, and uh, you know, from what we hear on the, you only really hear the bad, uh, you know, on the other side of the world. So I didn't know much. Right. About it. But he had been uh, this guy. Pran had been. He had a call. He has a call center here still. To have 500 plus people now it actually has about half of that because it's been digitized Ooh. business but still running it and and uh yeah so that that's he knew about the philippines he's been coming for many years uh, as he's been operating that and he said listen i've been doing quite well i want to start making some some aggressive bets how do you feel about going to the philippines finding some places to invest i already put some money with somebody so you can go work with wow. for the first year or whatever until you figure out what you want to do i said yeah it's okay. awesome man like that this mm-hmm. guy that pretty much said, go figure it out. Uh, I have a, pretty much a, a company, a startup you can work at until you figure it out. And then um, kind of I'm backing you, whatever you decide to do. So like the confidence that gave me to just come out here, like I knew he was behind me to, you know, back whatever I did. And and if something went wrong, he would, he he, he knows the, some people to help and whatnot. So I felt safe in that, in that sense, but also I didn't know a single person here and it was a bit of a leap. So we we ended up creating this entity called Seaborn Capital, right? So I actually started that with him. Nice. And once I got here, I pretty much found ways. Uh, I quickly met. I, I had a it's just a random connection. It was a Filipina lady, uh, the mother of a friend of mine uh, in the community back home uh, in the okay. Jewish community. I'm, I'm Jewish. She is a very good friend of the family, and she also knows people here. Obviously, she's Philippine. She's she came from the Philippines. So I said, hey, like anybody you can put me in touch with. Put me in touch with her brother, who connected me to Jesse Maxwell, who's uh, one of the Fox. Oh, Mom. okay. So that, like, within two weeks, you know, I had met Jesse, and they were raising fund two of Foxmon. So I pretty much went to Pran. I was like, "Listen, you know, we can get into the scene pretty quickly by buying our way in, almost." Uh, so right, that was one of the the first things we quickly did was uh, looked at that at that fund they're raising for a while. And I was like, listen, if we're here to invest in startups and we have a thesis that the Philippines demographically is a great place to be doing it with the economics of the country at the moment. And so we said, screw it. We put some money with them. And then mm. that kind of start, sparked my entrance into the, the VC scene locally. Got it. I was able to meet Franco and all these guys and Mark, that's how I met Mark. Uh, yep. You know, so I met all these guys and it just, that, that network effect snowballed immensely. And you got to the right guys. You didn't, you didn't get introduced to a random Trump. You, exactly. you got introduced to Jesse freaking Maxwell. Yeah, right? that, that's top dog right away. Yeah, he's the nicest guy in the world. I mean, like he's, he's super cool. We met him. Like I had listen, I had no idea who the guy was. I mean, we so the friend back home was like, oh, we know somebody. Like, yeah, he's pretty. Like, you know, he, they have a big company, a big, uh, big shipping and logistics business there. 
I was like, oh, it'd be great, great to talk to. So anyway, just it was so happy. shipping business yeah. here, by the way. No, I right? know, but that I had no clue, right? So that was almost it's almost nicer not to know because then I mean, you know, it's you just don't get, get, get um yeah, intimidated. Yeah. What was the when you got here? Okay, so this is all rainbows and butterflies. What were the hard parts that you had to adjust to? Because again, fresh, fresh out the boat, but from the other side. Yeah. Right? Now you go here and say there was there a culture shock or was the biggest adaptation oh, man. Uh, that you seen? It was a huge culture shock. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't even. Rice? <laughs> was it rice on rice? Yeah, I started rice? putting on weight pretty quickly. <laughs> Eating a lot of rice. But um, no, we, seeing the, just seeing the extreme poverty, on even just coming from the airport to yeah. Makati was like, well, <laughs> that was already crazy, right? I think when I came like many years ago, we were at, at night, we just quickly stopped over Manila and left super early. I mean, so. Yeah. You know, I didn't uh, really see much. So that was a no, it's night and day difference. There are going to be sides of town yeah. where, like, holy shit, this is posh. This is, am I even in the Philippines? Exactly. And then one wrong turn is like, holy shit, I'm in the slums. Yeah. So, it, so that seeing like the the extreme poverty was like, whoa, like this is that, that kind of, you know, the, there's, there's plenty of poverty in the States, but like, the, you know, it's, it's intense here in, in certain areas. So that was for me, uh, you know, now for better or for worse, I'm, I'm probably more jaded and, and can handle it. You just, it's, it's just part of it, right? So that was that was an eye-opening thing. And then, you know, my first year, I was working with this company called Comento that we ended up investing in. That was the one that Pran had put money with that sent me here to start working with. This is a logistics business, an e-commerce and logistics business. They pretty much go and buy all of the, the returned items from these big logistics players. So, you know, there's COD, right? Cash and delivery. If you're not there to pick yep. up the item, that item goes back to the warehouse and sits yep. around and... Just that's it. So these logistics companies sell this stuff in mass. Like they have warehouses full of returned items and they sell it for pennies on the dollar. So this company goes and buys all that stuff and resells it. So I was driving to Valenzuela every day for what? over a year. Yeah, man. Like it, you drove? I drove and then eventually Okay, that's okay. I gotta go on tangent here here real quick. This is a totally different conversation. Yeah, I bought myself. What was a it car. like driving on the right side of the? the I mean, we we drive like the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> the type of drivers we have here. What was the driving experience? Like? Yeah, well, you know, the the only time where I was like, I can't do this anymore, was in the car. <laughs> like oh. that's when, like, there have been times where I've just been losing my mind. I was like, I just, I just can't stay here. I mean, obviously that was at the early stages, but like, yeah, I bought myself a car and uh, I had to get up there somehow. So. Uh, from where? Or you drove to Valenzuela from where? I drove from BGC. So oh my God. <laughs> it was a freaking nightmare, man. We and and they were trying like and once I was in BGC already living here, they were trying to get me to get an apartment in like QC. And I was like, you know, I had just gotten here. I was like a bit I you know, I I wanted to be in something where I felt at least my home felt a bit uh, comfortable. I didn't know anything about QC at the time. I would live there, no problem. But uh BGC is like the I guess the the most familiar to me, let's say, which is, you know, I didn't come here to just be comfortable and be in a familiar place, but. Well, you drove all the way to, I wouldn't even do that. Like, Man, nah. it was, fuck, what a nightmare. And then in times of the year, like if I didn't, if I left not so late, like I either had to leave the, the warehouse at 3 PM or nine, like there was no, leave any time in between. I'm two hours in the car. So like, yep. throw me fucking nuts. That's the better, perfect time to listen to podcasts, actually, right there. <laughs> I, you don't know how much Joe Rogan I listen to. <laughs> I, his three-hour episodes, I mean, I probably listened to 50. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> yeah. So at some point, I actually got fed up because I spent two hours in a car one day. And I was like, listen, if I, I mean, one, one evening. 
And I said, mm-hmm. I might as well get a driver because, you know, if I can work for these two hours at night, yeah, like exactly. four and a half in the morning, like this is- Or at least you can get some Zs or sleep, whatever. Yeah, exactly. No, so I ended up getting a driver and he was awesome. And uh, yeah, he actually left recently. That's a whole other story. Oh, he's hiring. Whoever wants uh, yeah. to have a poggy, no. poggy ammo. <laughs> Right there, we have uh, a. <laughs> so work, working in this warehouse too was a very interesting experience. I mean, we had an mm. office in there, obviously, but uh, yeah, everyone was uh, Sir Pogi. That's kind of my nickname around the warehouse. Oh, there you go. See, which was hilarious because um, for many reasons. But yeah, we it was a, it was a very different crowd, right? I mean, you're not getting the UP grads and the Nationale grads working in the warehouse um, there. So it was that was actually a really cool experience. I was really felt like I was working in that this country as a, you know, there yep. were this bubble in BGC where it's as high society and the VCs. Nah, high society. That's not the real Philippines, man. No, it's not. So I actually, Valenzuela is the real Philippines. That's as real as it gets. I mean, as real as it gets. Mm-hmm. So that was super unique experience for me, I would say. And I, I think mm-hmm. I gained a lot from it and understood how the, like, you know, how these people operate and live here. I mean, it's a very different lifestyle than all the, the, the let's say, what people consider Metro Manila, although that is in Metro Manila technically, but yeah, that's the northern part. The yeah. northern that's Winterfell, yeah. right there. Before you go, there you go. To, <laughs> no, but how did then from this point? So you you've been doing Seaborn, and of course you acted like a fund of funds to invest in Fox One Fund Two that you deployed directly. How did that turn into Founders Launchpad? Yeah, so we 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 did a couple of. Uh, VC investments, actually one coming out of India that was awesome. And they, yeah, it's called Gush Work. The guy's super cool. That guy's just a killer. Um, so we did one investment there, but then we did it one here also. Just we did a couple of different investments here on a just, hey, this is a cool company. We did some diligence and there's a guy we'd mm-hmm. like to back. So we did a few random like opportunistic investments. And then I, you know, I don't know if you met Thomas and Simon, my two co-founders. I don't know if you met them in the past, but I'm pretty sure I've seen them. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to them. They were the Germans I... that, well, one German, one Austrian that that were was brought over by Mark Quiman, and uh, they worked with AHG Labs for uh, mm, right, part, right, right. The good part of two years. They they came in kind of when I did March of 2022. We met mm-hmm. very early on and became friends. We did some traveling together. We just mm-hmm. traveling to Venezuela. Did you take them to the hood? I didn't take them to the hood. They haven't. <laughs> you got to take them to the hood. They, they're not ready for that, man. They're not ready. For that. <laughs> um, so the, uh, yeah, we, we spent a lot of really good time together, really enjoyed each other's company. And then, you know, they started putting together under the guise of HG lab. They started putting together founders launchpad, uh, just them two really taking the reins on it and, and co-founding it together, putting it together, and then they said, "Hey, we need some capital to make this thing happen." So I said, "All right, this could be an interesting thing." You know, we come in as the the fund manager with them, essentially, to create this entity, and we put the capital up, or the majority of it. We actually were able to raise some from another American guy that I I had met here in the Philippines, actually. But so us Seaborn, and I mean, really, it's Brands Capital, but uh, <laughs> you know, Seaborn is a, a big a shareholder in the thing, and then Thomas Simon and I are pretty much the, the co-founders of it. So that's how it was formed. So that's HG and Seaborn made love and founders launch fad was exactly. technically the baby. Exactly. So that's how it happened. I mean, th- we, there's a lot more nuances uh, involved, obviously, but it was under HG where Thomas and Simon were working. They created this. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, HG is a shareholder. And then Thomas Simon brought me in and we mm-hmm. decided to fund it. And uh, 
then we, the, the, the kind of the goal was to do one program, see how it went. And then if okay. it was a success, we spin it out into its own entity outside of HG. So now we're a founders launchpad. It's its own company. That's okay. a big distinction. It says not, it's not, not involved um, with HG's operations at all. Although we do have them as a partner, of course, uh, to yeah. provide some back office services if needed. Mm. But yeah, so now it's its own entity and nice. running, man. We're, we're on the move. But why, why, why was it the why why did you choose the accelerator route versus like the just a typical say Foxmont round where they're already deploying it at a cash? What did you see in this space where that's the place where you're gonna you're gonna invest in? Yeah, I mean we the, I think we were able there was a bit of an opening there because first of all, the the goal of all these, you know, all LPs in the world and, and all funds are always asking the, the fund managers like, hey, how uh how are you going to get in earlier? How can you? How early can you get into these companies? Because that's how you really generate the, the the you know uncorrelated alpha, as they say. So if you can get in earlier, uh, over a hundred something companies, one of the couple of them do well, it's fantastic. So we essentially saw that there were a bunch of these incubators, government programs, like uh, these odd, odd, oddly run or not full time ran programs that yep. were not really you know, hands-on helping all these founders. There were, of course, Foxmont, Kaya, uh, Gentry, Kickstart, all these guys have like, you know, they're fantastic uh, investment firms, but, and you want to get to them, but you don't have anybody really before them, at least in a full-time program basis. Like there are- that these- actually deploys capital. I mean, there's there's some That's grant funds, thing. but the problem with the grant funds is it's a lot of the people that are nurturing the startups aren't practitioners. Right. So what are you going to teach those guys? Yeah. So that's the thing. We, we pretty much do our best to bring in, well, for, we, you know, each week's different. So we have different focuses, but everything from financial modeling to how to interview your customers, stuff as basic as that, at least the, even the point of interviewing your customers. Uh, and how to drive to Valenzuela in the best possible route. Exactly. So I, <laughs> that's two weeks of the curriculum, actually. <laughs> Everybody apply and you'll be really good at that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So we just pretty much go over everything needed in a startup. So again, let me say it's financial. I mean, financial modeling isn't that important at super early stage, but customer interaction, even pit, like pitching, pitch deck building. Yeah. I mean, just operating within, just getting things done, executing properly. I should probably give you better examples here. This is not that, not that clear, but we're, I mean, we, for example, some of the stuff we did was help these guys hiring is a big thing. So we help with interviewing even some of the people that these guys are hiring and helping them set up their contracts where, you know, some of them don't even know what ESOP is or, you know, right. So you're like, 30% of my company. And then the guy just disappears. (laughs) Whoops. Like, what are you going to do? So there's a, there's not an undo button. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, it was just, it's just a hassle. So the undo button is putting cliffs and vesting schedules on the equity, right? Yep. So, but we help them hire, we interview a lot of the people there. We even help them source uh, candidates. Um, we run, fa- we help them build Facebook ads and, you know, create their websites most optimally with UI, UX. We bring in as many founders as possible in the ecosystem. So we have great connections. I think investment in Foxmont also got us mm-hmm. access to all those founders, right? So we, we tap them also to say, hey, do you care to come in and do a session on whatever you want to do? I mean, if it's fundraising or operating or how not to not to give up or like you know because they all go through the same stuff they go through these tough times when you're faced with a super tough challenge uh you Mm. sometimes you want to give up or whatever it may be Mm. all these guys are 
really working in the, in the same space to some, to right. some degree, obviously different industries, but so that we try to just put them in front of as many founders as possible. That was also the best, the best feedback we got from all the, the founders we invested in were these talks from other founders and more experienced ones that have raised further rounds and have really built something yep. awesome with by far and away the best uh, sessions that we did. So obviously on the next one, we're going to be really focused on that. Yeah. So it's, it's really from, from A to Z as, as much as we can possibly teach them. And we're also like part-time co-founders with them. Like we're again, built, helping build their websites. We're doing the research for them uh, or with them, let's just say we have analysts and associates um, going to be helping us with that and, you know, market research for them, the size of the market, uh, who are the players, who are the competitors. So when they go out and talk to VCs, they're actually quite knowledgeable about what the hell market they're operating in. They know how big it is roughly. They can speak, speak pretty coherently and, and, strongly about their customer base and uh, who they're going to go after. And, and it's really a the big thing we emphasize for them is focus. You know, we get some of these, some of these applicants we're seeing like, Oh, I want to build the all in one solution for blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like you need to build one thing that works and does well. Get a win somewhere. Then you can, then you can add other, uh, other features, but like, you know, mm. Google can, can now is, is more of an you know, they're not even all in one, but they're adding a ton of features, but yeah, they've been around for 30 years and they have billions of people using their stuff. So it's a different, you know, you're not, you don't start out as Google. You have to just, they also started out focused on one thing, right? The the point is we really emphasize that and try to keep these guys focused uh, and not get too excited about all the millions of opportunities there possibly are, which there are many, yeah. there are really a lot. Um, that's not mm. the, the, I think the opportunity set is clear. Um, it's just the execution piece. So, and, and that's another thing, like when it comes to us, Picking, you know, we learned a lot from this first cohort on the investment side. Like you, you never know. You know everyone says like, "Oh, it's all about the founder." You know, when you're investing in startups, blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. You never know. Like you never conceptualize that until you fuck up and then put money with the wrong. Right. Like you just never. Like you just don't. You don't know. You don't feel until you feel that. Like oh wow, it's really the guy that just can't do it. Like yeah. you, you never really can sit like take that in that advice in until you just blow it. Not absolutely, the, but uh, you know, it's like fumbling the ball. You think you're never gonna do it, or at least you know you know what it feels like. But until you fumble, and then it hurts. You see the other guy go to the t- do a touchdown right in front of you. That's it. That, that's yeah. the feeling. But I want to understand two things. You can't do this alone. So you guys, the three boys, you know, who started this out. How do you surround yourself with the right the right team? And the next question I have is, what type of program did you guys develop? Because again, instead of it's a YC style type of execution that's a very high standard that you're going to hold people onto and i'm not sure a lot of people are are are, are built for a yc style of acceleration program here in the philippines right. so how did you build that team and how did you build the program so the team is is thomas simon and i these guys are awesome like i i, I would recommend to everybody to work with germans in your life because <laughs> no i mean i'm not kidding like that's efficient the, no there you the, go efficient organized and they're not afraid to just spend time doing something if it like and and watching videos on how to do it and figuring it out and spending the time like a lot of people like oh i can't do this in five minutes i'm done i'm done like i'm not working on it like they will sit down look at it figure it the fuck out and get it done so it's like been amazing to work with them and they really just spend the time to keep organized like if you look at our 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 data how we process all the, even the applicants from the first round, all of the people we've interviewed, just about 200 people we've interviewed, we have notes on every single one of them, ratings, all their contact information and resume and everything. So when we want to go back and maybe hire them later, we can do that or even recommend to other people. The point is they're fantastic. So working with them has been amazing. 
So that's number one. And the team, we have Alea, who you know, who's also fantastic. Shout out. Yeah, shout out. Um, yeah, she's very crucial in being the, let's say, mother to the startups because we are the, okay, you're doing this wrong, like very direct German US way of, of operating where Alea is the one that can handle the, really understands the, the Filipino way of, of uh, working with one another. She also understands the, our way of working with one another. So she's a great intermediary between founders and us. So that's like a super crucial piece to the to the puzzle, actually. And then um, we also have a few interns. We're actually hiring now an associate, like an investment associate, a marketing associate. So there uh, you go. This should be those. We're actually having amazing candidates. We're super excited about the ones that we have in the the top the top few. And we've put a lot of effort on building a right. This is a business that ideally has to be alive for like 10, 12 plus years, maybe twelve. Yep. I don't know. This long game, man. The investment business is like a you build that over many many years. So having a team is like super crucial. <laughs> that that likes being around you guys. So we spend a lot of time. I'd say it's a more progressive uh, office environment where like you know we have weekly standups on every Monday. Make sure everybody's on top of their stuff. It keeps people accountable. Mm-hmm. But you know we are very hands off in the sense that get your work done. We're not going to be on top of you about it as long as you're getting it done. And I think that works very well for the team that we have. We have had absolutely no problems with that so far. Everybody's at the moment remote, even though we do have an office mm. in, in Publish Phone, which is another great part about the program, by the way. You spoke about the how we mm-hmm. end up doing a YC style program. Of course, we're not going to be YC on day one. But as long as you're, you're near only pants, then you're yeah. going to be all right. Yeah, that's our, that's our edge over YC. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but um, we have a building that, you know, we have rooms where the founders can sleep in. Uh, and we have co working spaces. So we're literally with them 24 7. Obviously, we don't sleep there. I have, <laughs> I must say. I, I have slept <laughs> hey, there. Hey, if you can go to Valenzuela, you can be anywhere, my man. You're going to yeah. be high. So we, uh, we have slept there, but you know, the point is everybody's in house together, like building together. There's this awesome energy about it. So, but the nice thing about our program is we just get as many super strong founders and and investors locally and even foreign founders and foreign investors on calls and just get them in front of the ones we take in and we invest in, really build their network and put them in the, the best position for them to execute their business and meet as many people as possible, get the connections that they need. You know, we connect wherever we can. If there's somebody that needs a medical distributor, we will scour our network to find that for them. Mm-hmm. We hope that they also scour their network <laughs> to find mm-hmm. it because we can't do everything, of course, but just, we're almost like a management supplement uh, in each of these companies during those three months, really helping them as much as we can. And yeah, we hope that it makes an impact. I think we, you know, one of the, I think Kipop, one of the companies we invested in, like they're just fantastic. Yeah, those kids are legit. They they really I think one of the things I learned also for the first over the first uh, group of companies is that the even if they're not the best team to maybe do it if they listen and implement suggestions from if there's progress from point A to point from meeting A to meeting B yes. and they're actually implementing suggestions listen we don't know everything but we know I think in this some senses more than they do they know more than us in many things too engineering specific mm-hmm. but on the business side of things they actually implement a lot of things and changes that we suggest and they're they're happy about it they're happy we're teaching them and they we see really good results in a lot of it for example they we told them it would be really nice if you guys hired a performance marketing specialist because you need somebody to help you with 
really focus on ads and look at the numbers uh, of the metrics of the ads that you're running and turn the ones off that are bad, spray on the ones that are good, et cetera. So they did that. We helped them interview and find somebody amazing. And they've just had a record month in November and, and going for more than that in December. So like th- this is the stuff that's so nice for us. Uh, it's A, to see that we're able to help them, but B, that these guys are taking the advice and they they know they aren't the best at everything. They're not too confident, not too cocky, but they built something amazing and and they're willing to bring other people in that know more than them. And their business is just doing great. So like, it's a great example of who, the kind of people we like to mentor, let's say. All right. Sounds good. Now let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will discuss the type of verticals and the type of founders they are actually looking for. And of course, the learnings that they've got on the very first cohort. But let's talk about that more after... Hey Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode You should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter As you grow your own startup Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level As you grow your employees And this bundle is your key to freedom Including payroll outsourcing to experts A subscription to timekeeping and attendance software And government compliance services Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. 
As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer. Trust DragonPay. Break. And we're back in the break. We are still with Poggy Jay Handler, who you probably, you've probably gotten used to that already, right? Yeah. Um, I was like, ah, oh, there you go. I tell, I tell that myself. I tell that to a lot of people too, but most people don't believe me. So you, if they throw that to you naturally, that means you're a real OG Poggy. There you go. Love that. Yeah, I think that the, the, the girls at the warehouse are still, uh, you know, bringing Swooning it. over you, right? No, the, um, yeah, it was nice on my birthday. They they made a bunch of, you know, <laughs> like big posters that said like, oh, happy birthday, Sir Poggy. Was it Poggy Mania? Man, oh my god, you have a puggy bowl. You have no idea. There you go. I couldn't, couldn't win there. <laughs> oh man, all right. So, what I want to find out again, you, you established, you told us already how you, you established uh, Founders Launchpad and how this team was formed, the type of program. But I want to understand first, of course, it all boils down to the startups, right? What type of startups did you invest in in the first cohort and what are you looking for in the next coming cohorts that you guys are going to uh, invest in? Yeah. So, I mean, our, our basic criteria is you must be using tech in some capacity to operate your business. That could that mm-hmm. still encompasses e-commerce, even though it's really like a retail play, right? It's, it's uh, I mean, online retail, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. as long as you're using online, some sort of tech, we're in. We're interested. So tech, Philippines is a first market, so you got to be focused here. I mean, that's a bit loose. Like if you're here and you have a product that can be pretty much sold to the UAE or something, like that, of course, we're interested. Mm-hmm. But So that's a bit of a loose one. But really, the two biggest are... Philippines first market, and you got to be using tech. Those are like the things that you have to have in it for us to even look at you. So that's really the, the the ones we invested in the first cohort. Six different industries from e-commerce to online pharmacy, online and offline pharmacy marketplace, fintech apps, whatever you want. We we are interested. Uh, we even have a, a company called Resbin, which is um, plastic waste. Recovery. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, Excumbum. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they're, they're awesome. That duo, uh, brother sister duo, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're building something really cool. I'm really excited for them. But so it has to be again tech Philippines first, uh, and you have to be you know willing to work and show us that you can can properly execute hustle. Them. Yeah, at the end of the hustle, there you go. At the end of the day, we're we're sitting around like you know when you're investing in let's say when you're doing a loan, you're underwriting the credit risk of the the borrower. When you're investing in the Private equity, or you're look. It's more you're looking at the EBITDA that the company's generating and and seeing if you can play with that. We're underwriting execution risk, like that's what VC is is underwriting, right? Like, can this person actually do it? So, we uh, or what is the chance that this person can't do it? Almost. So right. we 
you know, Thomas Simon and I have all have some operating experience, but by no means do we have the 10 years, 12 years that uh, we haven't built the company and sold it. Right. So we don't have that super nuanced view uh, or advice that we can pass along, which is why we rely heavily on a lot of the partners that we have. So especially the guys funding us both have amazing businesses and have been operated for many years and are, are very well. Town, shipping, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of these guys are call are, centers. Yeah. But, but he, I mean, his business in the U S is actually a third party collections business. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's intense. Yeah. Holy so, shit. Yeah. Wow. So they're, I mean, it's a cool company, but anyway, he's been running for 15 years and the guy's just doing fantastic and he's just smart and he has a lot of really good insight from just building bootstrapping his own company. Right. So we have great guys behind us uh, and we try to bring in as many locals founders here. Again, I've said this a few times this call, so I don't want to keep repeating myself, <laughs> but uh, we, um, yeah, we try to put these great founders in and do workshops with them, but that, but our in, investees, let's say in front of uh, these great founders and let them learn from these guys. Mm. So this is, this is how we, we hear, we listen to them in, in terms of, you know, who better to decide or, let's say underwrite somebody's ability to execute than guys that have just done it a bunch of years of their life. Right. So we rely on them a lot and the investments that we actually decide to make, uh, if they think the founder can, can get it done or not. We also have, uh, I think we're a bit unique in the sense that obviously we have guys on the ground here, which you need, but you can't only have that because it makes it a bit tough to step back and step away from what you're doing and look at it in a non-biased point of view. So we have some, the guys in the U S we rely on a lot to kind of, digest the information that we on the ground are sending them and try to make sense out of it to, to come up with some investment thesis. So like, you know, they're, they're, you can't have just people on the ground. You can't have just people overseas because they're not here. They have no idea what's going on. The duo is pretty important. I think, you know, cause we can get so excited about something and then they ask a very basic question that we just overlooked and we're like, Oh <laughs> shit. You know, that, that's yeah. not, <laughs> so that, that kind of stuff is cool and unique about us. I think also, but yeah, so that, again, I mean, it's a long way of saying how, how we look at companies we invest in, the, the real criteria are, of course, the non-negotiables are tech and Philippines first. And the then we get into, can this person do it? How's their background? Are they, you know, the best case scenario for us, somebody that's done it one or two times before, super successful in that, and then coming to do it again, they probably won't need an accelerator. That's right. the only issue we have. We do have a guy, Al actually has a, he's successfully yep. and sold a business and has been a founder a few other times. So He's a fantastic find for us. And I think the the number one thing that we will end up seeing, and I think I've seen it in Foxmont's portfolio companies and some of the other uh, investors here, mm. it's the, a, a founder that has been overseas to a more developed country and has seen what good execution looks like. Uh, yes. or Even studied or worked overseas and has seen what that looks like. And then they come back here. They have Sea turtles. Yes, exactly. And then they come back here and they have the nuanced local view, right? Of the Philippines, let's say, for example, or if it's another emerging market country, then so be it. Yep. But they understand locally and they see what good execution looks like overseas. And then they apply that here. So th- those are like, if those are the ideal ones. And I, I think Foxmont has a few of those and they're all doing really nicely. They're building great businesses. And at the end of the day, they know what they know how to it's execute. It's a double win. If they get to Foxmont, you guys win because you're a, you're an LP. Uh, right. If they're early on or they're trying to create one, then they need to join you. Guys. Yeah. What What would be nice is if we get you know these bigger VCs to back us and say pretty much you like force founders to come through us in order to get investment from them. Uh, that would mean we have to get everybody on board and the uh, on the actual 
GP position. So I don't know there how that is, but <laughs> uh, it, that, that would be nice if we can almost not gatekeep, right? We don't want to, we're not mm-hmm. gonna be competitive, but uh, it would be nice to have that, those guys behind us in a sense that they're ready for follow on capital uh, later. Absolutely. Another thing also, just one, one last piece about it. The business has to be at least able to generate some, some decent level of revenue. Cash flow or re- yeah, exactly. Because we, I mean, it doesn't need to be profitable at the onset, but you know, there isn't in these emerging markets, there isn't that much capital downstream that can support a, a bit, an Uber losing a, a $50 million a month forever. Right. Uh, there just isn't that. Uh, of course, you get bigger guys from Singapore, let's say, coming in later if it's super, super successful. But we like businesses that are that can actually make money in not not super long term, because at the end of the day, it has to be operating in a market that has a huge potential. But at the end of the day, if they don't take a huge piece of that that pie of that huge potential pie, they still are running a business that can be profitable and, and doesn't go to zero. So uh, that's another thing that is important. That we right. And what's the deal structure like? What the, for how much do you guys typically put in if they if they get accepted? And then what's the equity that you typically take? And how early do you need, need do you come in? Do you need to be the first check, or do you, can you be like a follow on already? Yeah, we don't need to be the first check. Uh, we can be we can be a, a later one. I think mostly it's it's angels that are before us, if ever. But usually right. we're the first. I mean, that's typically how it how it has been. I think it was one case we weren't. There were some angels there. But mm. we we do a deal where we come in at a sub one million valuation, so and we put up to hundred thousand. So on the first, like it's a bit variable in the sense that you know one thing I'd say that we're aware of is in VC you, that you don't really know who's going to do well. So like to to say oh you get a hundred, you get fifty, you get twenty five is quite silly because mm. the VC game is the of course I'm sure you've heard it. It's a power law, and you have to have a ton a diversified basket of investments, and hopefully a few of them will do well. Right, you're banking on one or two to drive the returns of the fund. So we say up to a hundred thousand, um, and we're willing to to do that. Of course, that's what we say. <laughs> but the the goal is to take about seven to ten percent of the company and the. With with the investment that we put in, so up to one hundred thousand, meaning our goal would be ten percent of a million dollar company. Let's just say, and that it's, get the amount we put in and the percentage we take is going to be dependent on if the founder fights us on the valuation. So if you're super yeah. strong and you have a ton of experience and you sold the company before and you have some traction already, uh, you're going to fight us. We're not going to put a $500,000 valuation. You're going to say no to that. Uh, you'll probably be like, I need the absolute maximum you're willing to give. So that's where we would go up to a hundred, right? If they're fighting us and we probably really want to get in there, we would give, give more on the valuation, but it's, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's kind of dependent a bit on, on the the founder for sure. Cause again, we're the end, the execution risk is what we're underwriting. And if some, we feel really strongly that somebody can do it, based on the criteria I mentioned of maybe going abroad and selling a company and coming back rare. But if those guys come, that's where we, we will be more flexible. Sounds good. All right. Now, what are the learnings you guys so far? Because typically I ask this from a startup founder's point of view. Hey, you joined this accelerator or you know incubator. What have you learned? But from your point of view, as running this first cohort, what have you learned from say that you didn't assume that uh, or you didn't see it coming when you started the program? Yeah, so the stuff that we learn, we definitely won't uh, invest in a, a solo founder. I, I don't want to say definitely not, but very highly likely a solo founder. Super risky, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, what we saw was that it's really easy to get discouraged as a solo founder when something doesn't go your way. 
if you're trying to raise money and, and a bunch of investors say, we don't believe in your product, you know, as a solo guy, you're going to get crushed. Yeah. This isn't like, I, this is not the idea. This isn't for me. If you have a, if you have, you know, we tried to be the soundboard for the founders so they can just say, you know, they can bounce ideas off us, et cetera. But you need that in an everyday thing. You don't, you can't have it once a month or once a week or right. so they, these solo founders need people to, you know, cheer them on, rally them on, whatever that back. is. So you get it. So I think we wouldn't go into a, another solo founder unless they're extremely talented. Actually, we're, we're, what we're iterating on the, Obviously, right. We're building a product too. We're at the end of the day, we're a startup. We have operations, so we're mm-hmm. we're also iterating on the product based on the feedback that we okay. got and our learnings. So we're going to try to do a pre-program this time, um, where we can work with the founders for a month prior, and even by the mm-hmm. way, uh, invite solo founders. Who it doesn't mean that they would kind of like an antler style where they we invite these entrepreneurs to meet and you assemble exactly so uh, it doesn't mean we, we will invest but we will work with them for rest day a month give them some things to do look at their product give them some feedback see if they how they work with that and make it out of the woods they're in exactly and if they then they go through an ic process after that but i think had we you know worked with i think a month in i already realized like uh maybe we would have not taken x or y you know after working with them for a month, because it's just, you know, it goes back to a point I mentioned earlier in the, in the call, in the, in the podcast, where if there's no progress happening from meeting A to meeting B, nothing, nothing's changing. And your meeting notes seem to start looking exactly the same as the prior ones. This is something that's a red flag for us. It's super important to see progress over, you know, for if nothing's working and we're saying, Hey, maybe you should try this, this, and this, because it looks like this is a, a pain for the customer, et cetera. And then the next week, oh well, you know, maybe you should try this, this, and this because you know we said it last week and nothing's changed and it's still not getting better. So this kind of stuff, I think, just being open minded and uh, listening to feedback as a founder is super important. We'd love to be able to see that. So working with them for a few weeks before the program will give us a lot of that information. I think sounds good. Now again, invite people over. What 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 do you, what are the type of startups you're looking for in in this this year in 2024? That you guys are going to go in. When is the next cohort going to be? Yeah, next cohort is going to be. It's either going to start March 15 or April one. One of the one of either mid. You want to do 15? April one sounds like it was a freaking April full show. That's a great <laughs> point. That's a great point. So it might not be April one, but start of April, let's say. Oh. <laughs> so either mid March or start of April, and yeah, but we close the applications uh, early Feb so that we can invite the people. Uh-huh. Uh, you just don't want to announce like, hey, we have a new card, April <laughs> Fools. <laughs> Psych, yeah, you're the wrong numbers. Yeah, Psych, bro. <laughs> there you go. Um, right. Yeah, so we will be doing it either mid-March or early April. And uh, the kind of starts we're looking for, I mean, a couple industries that we're really excited about are healthcare, health tech, anything of, the, of this nature. Obviously, massive market, massively underserved market. FinTech mm-hmm. is just outrageous. I mean, they're like... Man, there's so many opportunities for people to find out how to lend. If if it's hard, I mean, it's hard. There's some guys trying to do with these digital banks. It's really tough. I mean, they're getting smoked. Mm-hmm. Like they're go. I I don't know. A couple months ago, I read like a some article about Tonic Bank having like 25 percent NPL, like a non-performing loan book, which is you know you're you're losing money with that. I'll say that much. Mm-hmm. And I would, by the way, I'd bet you it's more like 50. I mean, if they're coming out with 25, it's probably much worse. So. It's tough, is my point, but there are certainly ways. There's no credit. There's no. There's like a huge capital crunch. Here. There's no credit. Businesses can operate. I talk to companies every day that are like, "Hey, man, like, do you lend?" <laughs> I was like, "Maybe we should start." Right. 
So a fin- fintech companies would be fantastic. Also, the the big GDP driver to the country. So anybody operating in these kind of bigger markets that are proven to so remittances, stuff like that, you have a 10% of the GDP is coming from remittances. So if you can find a way to plug in there, huge market, billions, right? And also the the call center industry. I know AI, everyone's a bit scared of this AI thing coming out and you know, wiping out the call center industry. I, I think there's a there's a case for that, sure. But I also think that a lot of companies need the personalized touch still. A lot of companies we put money with the India guy from India that we mentioned a long time ago at the beginning of the call, he is pretty much powering up Filipinos with AI tools and out and and going to businesses and saying, hey, we can pretty much automate all your workflows and use AI tools to be extremely efficient. You could fire all your entry-level people from college that you're paying $100,000 a year to. You can pay $20,000 a year for somebody in the Philippines who can do just nice. as if not better of a job. So like the, the, right. there are, the point is uh, that industry is not going away, I don't think. So any tech that's going to be powering that industry interested in B2B SaaS, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- I mean, so FinTech, healthcare, I mean, these are novel things I mean, you're hearing, I'm sure, but, um, and, and the BPO space, like interested for sure. And of course, e-commerce. So I'm, 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 I'd love to see some cool brands come through that are making some new niche product or, you know, a basket of brands or something like this. Super interested in those. That is amazing. Again, thank you very much, Jay, for telling us uh, the exact thing again. There are a lot of people are definitely, for sure, listening to this and uh, will definitely apply soon in the next cohort of Founders Launchpad. But again, if they want to apply and if they want to reach out to you, where did they go and how did they do that? Uh, yeah, if you want to apply, you can just go to our website, which is founderslaunchpad.vc. This is, uh, you see a big apply now button. You can go ahead and <laughs> click that. It's a cool, pretty simple application process. We'll ask for, you know, a couple basic questions. What's the name of your company? <laughs> uh, we'll ask you to upload a pitch deck and we'll ask you to record a one minute video just explaining who you are. Uh, of course, we have a few other questions we ask in there, but nothing too extensive. You can get it done. It's not going to take you a month to get it done. So I think you guys should, everybody should go apply who's listening. If you have friends that are starting companies, tell them to apply. We'd love to take a look at all of them and uh, super excited for this next batch. All right. Sounds good. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to with a Spotify, Apple podcast or any type of podcast app. And if you did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes on hustleshare.com. And if you want to, again, be like our amazing premium supporters like Angelo Lee, like Gab Abbott, Gentry Fund, and more, you can subscribe to premium.hustleshare.com. Again, Jay, thank you very much. You are very welcome. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. You're the man. All right. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. 